back indeed episode number 60 Rasball fantasy basketball podcast son and joel edition joel my man what's going on well as you know i've i've been better <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm playing hurt today but uh and we'll be playing hurt for a little bit it seems like but uh yeah, we'll, happy to be talking basketball with you again and uh yeah let's do it yeah always i can't wait to get into that that uh that story i think that's going to be a fun pod um as promised you know last week um uh, you are the captain of this ship uh there's just a few things that i kind of want to you know highlight run run through i think the people will be you know interested in this um you know i do a lot of walks and then i actually just went for a little jog uh, before this pod and then some thoughts kind of just filtered into my brain so i just kind of want to regurgitate them out into the universe uh to make myself feel better so all right here we go episode number 60 so Three players in NBA history have worn number 60, Jonathan Gibson, Walk Dirk. That's a cool name, Walk Dirk. <laughs> Walk Dirk. It feels like a, a John C. Riley character. <laughs> Seriously, that's awesome. And then uh, Dick Weir. All right, so 60-point games happened 20 times. Uh, Gilbert, Hibachi, Arenas, Beal, oh, yeah. Bird, Kobe uh, times two, Tom Chambers, Wilt times three, Luca, Harden times two, Tyree, AI, Bernard King, Dame, Tatum, Clay, Cat, Kemba. Uh, man, that's a impressive list. Very impressive. I'm surprised Tom Chambers is in there. Like I knew he could get buckets, but uh, 60. Uh, that's pretty, pretty, pretty crazy. Um, I do love that every time we run through it, it's like, oh, Wilt did that four times. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> It's and it's crazy, like every single number, right? It's just man, I, I'm gonna have to research it, go through it to see if he actually missed the number or not. Uh, then we're gonna have to knock him down the all-time rankings. You know, it's uh, unacceptable that he didn't get every single number. But um, <laughs> all right, so I've been starting to do baseball prep, and um, there's uh, you know, I've been talking to Rudy and you know, just getting thoughts. And uh, there's this book that I started reading. It's called. The Process by Jeff Zimmerman and Tanner Bell. Uh, I recommend it for anybody out there. Uh, I know it's a fantasy baseball, so obviously some of the superficial parts of it um, are not going to be applicable. You know, K minus walk percentage and things like that, right? Pitchers, you know, whatever. But the fundamental core of it uh, is basically what we've been talking about on this whole pod. You know, I mean, the book is called The Process, and it really helps you. Like, I'm only like a fifth of the way through, so but I, I, you know, I have a gauge of what the book is about. It, you know, just kind of just maps out um, how to approach, you know, uh, preseason prep, you know, in-season management, you know, trades like auction, just delves into like little nuances of what to look for, how to differentiate yourself, how to gain an edge. Uh, if you want to do projections, you know, how to do that. Uh, you know, if you're trying to factor in players that, you know, have an injury history, say like Anthony Davis, um, you know, how to factor in, you know, because you're going to be able to get guys off the wire, right? So how to factor in and, and project the replacement player points. It tells you how to do that. You know, Rudy kind of ran that, you know, by me uh, a year or so ago. Um, but yeah, it makes sense. But, you know, just the strategic element of fantasy, it's all applicable. Like all the games are very similar. So, um, you know, if you guys want to get better, I, I really I highly recommend the book. Uh, called The Process by Jeff Zimmerman, Tanner Bell. Uh, go check it out. Um, I've <clears throat> been doing some random reading, and I don't remember who to attribute this quote to, but basically it's um, 
you know, compare yourself to your yesterday self, uh, not to anybody else. And, you know, not only obviously that it's applicable to all things in life, but, you know, especially fantasy too. I'm thinking about it, you know, because a lot of times, like, uh, whether it's like, you know, someone you're competing against or, uh, you know, someone that's, you know, whatever, anybody in your league or someone that you kind of put on a pedestal in the fantasy community, um, you know, you don't know what they've been through. You don't know how much work they've gone through, right? You don't know the trials and tribulations, right? And you don't know their history. You know, everybody's on a different timeline. Everybody has different experiences, different, um, just everybody's different, right? So rather than focusing on other people, just focus on yourself. Uh, and, you know, have you gotten better from yesterday? Right. And so that kind of ties into my next thought that just kind of filters them as, you know, Walker Kessler, you know, he's obviously been balling out. Um, and, uh, you know, in the, the pre-draft process, um, I was pretty high on him. I had him a top hundred player. Uh, I did, uh, you know, I did some research on him. Um, you know, obviously the college stats stand out. Uh, I looked at a lot of highlights, you know, and for me, you know, the, the stats were there. Um, the eye test, like he looked fine to me, right? Like he looked very agile. Well, obviously the blocks are there, but for me, it was more just the agility, uh, and awareness and things like that. And, and, and they look good to me. Uh, and so I felt like I felt pretty confident in my player evaluation of it. And then from a fantasy aspect, you know, obviously I was pretty high on him because I thought the depth chart in Utah would be pretty clean and then he would get a ton of minutes. Uh, and so when, you know, I was doing initial rankings, um, you know, Eric Wong pushed back pretty hard on me and, you know, he was just like, yo, you know, like, is he even that good? And then he made me do a deep dive and, you know, he challenged me, he questioned me. And then, you know, at the time I was like, what a dick. Right. But, <laughs> you know, you know, after sitting back, I was like, man, you know, obviously, yo, this guy has a lot of experience. Like he's, he's seen these scenarios all the time. Like right? he's been there. Right. So, uh, in a way, uh, you know, and at the end of the day, he was just like, yo, you know, like I'll probably scoop him up when you drop him, type of thing. Right. So, you know, so basically he wasn't necessarily dismissing him, but he just thought that I was overvaluing him. Right. And then it mm -hmm. came to fruition, you know, Utah, they got, you know, Kelly Olinick and then the depth chart muddled up and then, right. So he wasn't getting all that time. Right. But looking back on it, the, the thing I really appreciate what Eric did for me was that he, he made me challenge my preconceived notions, my biases, right? He made me dig in a little deeper and then he made me realize like there are other outcomes to what I was, my rosy, you know, projections and scenarios. Right. And so, um, but I think also more importantly than that is just going through the whole process. Like, so where we're at now is, um, you know, he's obviously balling out. He's gotten some minutes because Olympic has been hurt and, mm -hmm. you know, he's been showing, but through the whole kind of up to now, um, like early in the season, like I kept reading a lot of articles about like his mental makeup and his IQ, the coaching staff loved him, right? He's just a willing loner, a sponge, like going out there asking questions. And then that kind of like tied into my thing about just player evaluation, like, like, who do I want to look for? You know, so I think like Jenicky really got me onto like, you know, youth athleticism, right? Like certain traits that are unteachable, that are unique, right? That, that provide upside, right? And so that's one aspect of it. And then for me, I think I've been focusing more on, uh, 
the mental, the intangibles, you know, obviously they're not quantifiable and then you cannot, it's, it's very hard to see, but just because I see a lot of guys, you know, they have their top 1% of the athletes in the NBA, but then they flame out. Why? They can't shoot. Like, you know, Dennis Smith Jr. type, you know, players, they can't shoot. Their defensive IQs is not good. You know, their awareness is not good. So I've definitely been putting more of an emphasis on like, you know, that type of like, uh, you know, if a player has a talent and they have the intangibles, you know, just the IQ and the the hunger, you know, things like that. Like, I, it, it's definitely become, hello, did we get cut off there? All right, we're good now. No, you're good. All right, cool. So, um, so just the whole process of the, the whole Kessler experience was that, um, you know, I think obviously, you know, college production, athleticism, physical attributes, athleticism, uh, mental makeup. But I think the most important thing that I learned from all this was that um, you got to be strong in your in your your convictions, and the only way to have strength in your convictions is to do the research, right? To do the work. Uh, if the more work that you put in, the more research that you do, the more confident that you win. And so now, like, I really appreciate what you know Wang did for me because. You know, at the time, like, because I kind of put him on a pedestal and was like, this guy, you know, he wins everything. He's has more knowledge than me. He's better than me. So I kind of deferred to him. Right. Mm -hmm. But then now I'm like, well, you know, I feel a little more confident now with my player evaluation, with certain things that I'm seeing and there's certain things that I'm thinking. And so he really kind of pushed me to the edge of getting to that point. Right. And so, you know, I really appreciate that. And then just that whole mental process. And so now just tying everything together, um, if, you know, and, and it relates to what I was saying, like the last pod with kind of like my position in, in the markets, right? The short-term noise, the, the short-term fluctuations, if you're solid in your thesis, uh, those things uh, don't really matter that much, right? You're able mm -hmm. to kind of just write them, write them through, right? And I think... The Kesser is probably a perfect example because he wasn't getting that much run in the beginning, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, right? I mean, so that in of itself was a good sign because they were putting him out there, right? But, you know, in terms of dropping a player or being patient with them, I think there was nothing, there were no indications to be like, I have to drop this guy, right? All indications were showing that you should be patient with him, right? And then it's just a matter of, if you get the opportunity and the playing time, right? And then now, once he got the playing time, like he's truly showing, you know, what he's about. Uh, so I don't know, just those thoughts were kind of running through my head. And, you know, I guess just talking about it kind of helps me to solidify it in my, in my head, but I thought it was pretty uh, relevant just for, uh, you know, player evaluation and just, you know, being patient on young players. And then I guess, you know, what to look for and, and things like that. So. Uh, with that said, that's my rant of the my, my weekly rants. Um, uh, any thoughts to to any of that? Well, I mean, what do you so the you know the deal with Kessler now? Um, you know, he's a top twenty player over the last week or so um, because of that Olympic injury. Where do you think it goes? Do you think like uh, Kelly comes back and cuts into it? Do you think he's nudged him all the way out of that starting job? Like. I think long-term Kessler is a very attractive option as a center. Um, but like, what do you think about for the rest of this year? Yeah. Um, you know, I don't think Kessler's going to overtake Linux. I think Linux comes yeah. back and, you know, he'll, uh, he'll have his same role. 
Um, and I think, you know, maybe Kessler maybe picks up a minute or two more. Um, there's a possibility they play in them together. I don't know, because Olenek can shoot, right? So, you play the four, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, that's that's within the range of outcomes. But I, I do think that if nothing changes from that end, uh, I do think Olenek will play. Maybe, you know, maybe they swap a few minutes here and there. Uh, mm-hmm. So, but yeah. That makes sense to me. I mean, I know that Kessler was one of your guys, and there definitely were periods at the beginning of this year where, um, yeah, you know, bringing in Cowley. And, and generally there's like the whole like lack of a, uh, Utah implosion uh, or fire sale has really warped what a lot of our sort of preseason thinking was, especially with guys like Colin Sexton. But I mean, the the long term plays are great. I know you've got him in dynasty leagues, which is I do. I love that. Man, I love that's that. that's bucks. super tasty. Yeah, right 50, now. it should have been sixteen. <laughs> who, who who was driving the price up to a reasonable amount on that one? I Thanks, mean, what Joel. brilliant guy could be. Uh, be behind that you know you know that uh, really messed up a lot of my my end game there because i had him slotted like at like seven dollars um and so if i had him on my at, watch yeah if i had him at seven that would have opened up everything else for me and my i think my end game would have been a lot cleaner uh but because you made me spend eight more dollars you know almost you know you know 100 you know inflation there uh, it really crimped my style, so now I have to roster, you know, Nimius Quetta and stuff. <laughs> I don't know. Um, this is going to be a Sun Glory pod, apparently. But uh, the I opened the the standings this morning, and yeah. you are now in first place in the Roto standings. The you Roto, I, USA I took a big basketball. leap. I took a big leap. Um, I think the Walker, the Kessler production, all those blocks, because um, I was yeah. I was a little weak in blocks uh, and rebounds. So he helped me there. Um, I mean, I have a lot of, I have a lot of guard stats, um, and so I mean, man, you know, if if he does, if they trade Olenek or you know if he gets a full run, ah, man, that's going to be really nice for me. But that's a long way to go. Yes. Um, you know, like I, I've uh, I've creeped up in my main event. Uh, I'm in third. Oh, good. Yeah, I'm in third now. And uh, I don't know, what was it? Maybe four or five pods ago. Um, you know, Wong was like, you know, light years away in uh, points, right? Uh, but, you know, I've gotten healthy and I have, you know, Levine, Markinen, uh Dame mm-hmm. and some guys. So I'm actually in second in points now and I'm within, I'm within a thousand points, maybe like 700 points now. Uh, so yeah, it's been a nice run. You know, team got healthy. Uh, yeah, it would be, man, I would, I would love to make a, a good run in that I, yeah really I, I really would that would be that would be so awesome but uh you know we'll see we'll see it's uh you know but even with that you know um you know remember like your experience with the Raz Jam right your first year right you were so you're down and then the next year like you put in a lot of work into it yeah you really focus and then you had a fantastic year the second year right and so like you know that that you know that grit and grind, right? That you that you put in through the whole off season, uh, it, you know, it was wonderful to see it pay off. You know, so I'm hoping I'm hoping I, I can replicate your your feats, right? Because my main event uh, experience last year was probably one of the worst ever. Uh, so yeah, it'd be nice. I would love to have a nice sweat. That would be pretty cool. We're rooting for you. We're definitely except in that the thirty team. You know, we have our own rooting interests in that regard. But yes. Uh, Yes, uh, that's going to be uh, just dogfight 
coming down the stretch. Now that the, a lot of like movements have been made, I feel like the top of that is really, really competitive. It's a lot I think of that head to head, yeah, that head to head situation, it's going to be about games played and yeah. who's healthy, and um, it's going to be really, really tight. I think um, for sure. Good league. For Good sure. League. Thanks, man. Thanks. I, uh, I mean, you're right there too. You know, you've uh, you've done well creeping up. I'm very curious to see how uh, the flurry of trades before the deadline happened. You know, I, I'm sure there's going to be a lot there, so that'll be pretty interesting. But all right, I, yeah. I don't know if there's going to be that much there, just because I feel like no? a lot of I think a lot of things have already happened. They've already I feel done. Like a, right. it's, it, we were early on it. Yeah. Um, someone rang the bell, um, you know, a month early, and you know what we were talking about in the past, just like there is only there's a finite pool of resources here um and so you you were obliged to go get the whatever you needed or whatever you felt you needed while you could because it wasn't going to be there for long so yeah yeah for sure you know one thing that i've one interesting thing that i've been noticing is uh because of the salary cap man it really throws a wrench into things um because now most of the guys you know that are that are willing to trade their guys um they don't want good players back Right, because they want the salary for Wembenyano or the rookies, so they can afford their they, rookie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so they want crappy players, but the problem is, is most of the players, right? That if you're able to trade a player away, you need to bring back salary back. But most of the players, right, are good players, so that's the conundrum, right? That's, that's the conundrum. So uh, I didn't really think about that going into the league, but now I'm seeing it, and it's like, okay, it makes sense, right? Like they're, they're you know, these guys, like I don't want good players i just want to drop them and get the cap room but then at the same time you know you know to make the salaries match right, that's the only way that could happen so yeah it's uh interesting yeah i remember some one of the the people in that slack chat was like hey can i can i trade this first round pick for nothing <laughs> like, he's realizing just like well, you have to pay for it yeah if you if you hold this draft pick you have to come up with the dollars to yeah. do it and like where those dollars come from is uh it's gonna be a problem for everyone else i traded my first round pick intentionally yeah. so yeah. i could avoid that but same, same. Uh, i'm the same yeah but just, you know i love it actually i love it because it makes it forces decisions right and then there'll be some roster churn uh so yeah it's really interesting man i i, I love it it's gonna be i'm fascinated because i think there's gonna be a second like so there's obviously gonna be like a big free agency window when like all these initial contracts expire and people have to make decisions i think it's gonna be a second and maybe a third free agency window that happens before that when people just like purge their rosters of like in anticipation. I have, yeah. I've got yeah. like, I have to clear like $9 worth of right, salary right. to sign this draft pick. Uh, the only $9 players I have were someone that I spent $9 in the draft on. Yeah. And so like having, having dollars to spend would be useful <laughs> as a guy who's got like 40 cents to his name yeah i have i have nothing yeah but yeah having cap space is going to be huge because some guys yeah. are going to be getting some really really good deals at some point so all right that's cool we need to get to the heart the meat and potatoes of this pod so um joel we we're talking uh yesterday right yeah yeah yesterday and um he said that uh <laughs> he was know try to be pele and uh kicking balls on, on the court a tennis ball with uh for his dog and so oh. he, he he wound up like happy gilmore 
And... Let me just let me <laughs> tell the fucking story. Let me just do it. Um, so I have um, a really sweet golden doodle named Buckets. Um, he is. Name, uh, yeah, that's the best. He's a good dog. Um, he has. He's about a year and a half old. Um, he's become like very uh, infatuated with fetch. He thinks fetch is great. I'm into that. I think that's cool. So this last weekend, um, every weekend we take the dog to a dog park that's down the road from us. Um, and so we were at the dog park and as is his wants now, he found like a disgusting dog park tennis ball. And he was like, yes, let's do this. Like, I don't need any more attention from any dogs. We're just going to play fetch with this ball at the park. And um, he's gotten very good at uh, playing defense so it'll like give you the ball and then he'll want you to do something with it and if you kick the ball he's like smothers it he's all over it you don't get any distance on any sort of uh, like launch or trajectory or whatever like he's just he's on it and so after like i don't know like uh, 15 minutes of just like these piddly little kicks i decided that i was i was going to send one for my for my beloved little <laughs> dog here um and you know like i i am not a soccer player but I've like swung enough baseball bats and enough golf clubs to know that like when you, you really muscle up on a ball and you think you're going to just obliterate it is when bad things happen. And uh, I did that with my, my wind up for kicking this tennis ball for my dog. Um, and I, my head pulled off of the target and instead of kicking the tennis ball, I uh, just drilled my toe into the frozen Wisconsin ground and uh broke my big toe um my it's it's gotten it's not a horrific break now that i've like seen doctors and done x-rays or whatever but it looks like a fucking lakers jersey it's so purple man it is <laughs> really ugly um so yeah that's what i said uh, earlier that i was playing hurt um that's that's what happened i i broke my broke my big toe uh, i've got this like really glamorous little walking boots. Um, I'm supposed to stay off my feet for as much as I can, which I, you know, I've been thinking a lot about injuries now because uh, I'm experiencing one and I'm thinking about that as it relates to NBA players and all that. But um, the, the mental component of being hurt is often overlooked. And like, it's, you know, it's easily like the worst part about this for me is like, I just, there are things that I do in my life. You like to go on runs and walks. And I'm also one of these, like, so people who, a person who gets sort of invigorated by my body moving. And so sitting on a couch for the last three days with my foot in the air has been really, really challenging. Um, I'm just bored and frustrated and um, in, in need of some sort of relief. Um, yeah, so like I said, I've been thinking a lot about about injuries and um, thinking about basketball, which is, you know, unfortunately, it's something that that goes together uh, because I was I was just sort of like scrolling through rosters and just like rattling off players who've been hurt or who are presently hurt, and of uh, just off the top of my head, essentially these are the fantasy relevant players who are currently hurt. And it's, it's not an exhaustive list. 
Gordon Hayward, Kelly Oubre, DeMar DeRozan, Tyrese Halliburton, Chris Middleton, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Donovan Mitchell, Clay Thompson, Jalen Duran, Bradley Beal, Brandon Ingram, Herb Jones, Zion Williamson, Kyle Lowry, Carl Anthony Towns, Rudy Gobert, Jordan McLaughlin, Devin Booker, Chris Paul, Cameron Johnson, Cameron Payne, Kevin Porter Jr., <laughs> Lori Markinen, Jalen Brown, Anthony Davis, Devin Vassell, and this um, this Durant guy apparently also got hurt. It seems like that's a pretty big deal. Are we playing fantasy um, football? What is this? It's crazy. It's <laughs> yeah, like you know, I know that you've done like podcasts podcasts in the past about like if you were in charge of the NBA, you could make any rules possible. What would you do? And like, I'm I've just like been a fully like uh, converted to the yeah, are too many NBA games. We have to play fewer of them. Because um, this is those are those are all top one hundred and fifty players, and like that's just me, just like scrolling through, like oh he's hurt, and he's hurt, and he's hurt, and like I'm sure there's more that I've missed. Um, there's just the the current structure of like how the NBA functions is is untenable. Um, the it's a it's a league that eats its young, you know. Um, so what are you going to do to fix the NBA? What are we going to do about these injuries, Sam? What do you think the sweet spot is? I mean, obviously, like they'll never be able to cut the number of games. Like, like that would be the ideal, like, right situation. But just there's just too much money in it, right? So there's there's no way. But I think like I don't know, fifty games season. You know, that, that might, yeah, that might be the sweet spot. But since that's pretty unrealistic, because as the uh, the venerable Wu Tang Clan uh, taught me, cash rules everything around me, cream. Um, so if it's gonna be eighty-two games, then um, probably gotta lengthen out the season, just just stretch everything out, right? Just so there's yeah. more games in between. Um, I mean, I. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I mean, we can we can kind of spitball and talk this through, but you know, obviously, one concern would be like, you know maybe fatigue, right, from the fans, you know, just be you know just drawn out too too long. So, you know, that would be an issue. Um, yeah, I mean, logistically, <clears throat> just because uh, you know arenas all across uh, the country, you know, they have to do concerts and there's other events that they need to do. So logistically it might be tough, but, you know, ideally, you know, you'd have, a, you know, a set schedule games on this day, this day, this day, no back-to-backs. Right. And just, you know, but I don't know. Yeah. So, I mean, that's probably not, you know, tenable just cause, you know, traveling and just logistical schedules with other events. Um, at the top of my dome, I don't know. Like, do, do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, other than than like shortening the season would is it seems like the most like logical one. You're right. Like they're you're always going to get pushback from owners because um, they want the gate. They want 82 days of of work so that you can sell jerseys 82 or 41 well, TV, games really. TV money too. TV yeah. too, of course. Um, yeah. So you know if if we're going to take like fewer games off the table, yeah, I think you got to do everything you can to eliminate these back-to-backs. Um, you know, we just, like, we, there's, there's science about this now that just like tired bodies break more easily than rested ones. And so I think being 
more strategic and more forthcoming about scheduled rest days of, um, you know, you, you look at the schedule ahead of time and go like, all right, so we'll do, you're on these three days. And then, you know, if you're, so you're, you're the Pelicans, you're like, all right, so Brandon is going to sit the Monday game, Zion's on. And then on the Wednesday game, Zion's off, Brandon's in. And you just like, you plan it out ahead of time to try to minimize the amount of wear and tear that's on these guys. Because what you see is just like, it's a meat grinder. Just like if you have to, if you have to play 75 games a year, you're really putting yourself at risk for getting hurt. I got one. Go ahead. Right, I, and we've talked about this in the past, a long time ago. And now, way earlier, probably when we were, you know, talking about like ways to make the game better. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe the hockey ty- hockey style type of game where uh, there's no stoppages. It's just kind of free flowing, mm-hmm. and then you can sub on the fly. That'd be wild. I, w- I would <laughs> love. I would love it. Be fun. I actually saw another article. Someone else, you know, talked about that. Um, and so, in terms of injuries, it may be better for injuries, right? Because, like those hockey guys, they play in, like what two two minute shifts, three minute shifts, and they just go all out and then they come out. So, in basketball, maybe part of the reason for uh, an increase in injuries is because, you know, the game has gone faster. There's more athleticism. The game is a little more open. So these guys are going 110 percent. Uh, you know what eight eight minute shifts granted there's stoppages in there um so maybe because of that uh you know just there's just too much explosiveness too much wear and tear on that so if you shorten the duration of each shift um mm. maybe that preserves the body somehow i don't know I, i'm just spitballing here um i mean i there's a college team that does that. I feel like, um, that plays, they do like hockey shifts or like five guys on five guys off. Arkansas, and they, Arkansas used to do it back in the day. Yeah. They do the like death, the, the, the 40 minutes yeah, of hell, yeah, 40 minutes hell, that's press, right. yeah, yeah. press or Nolan Richardson. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think like, I think that's the other element too, is just like, um, you know, coaches are sort of put in a tough spot of like, you know, you've got someone like, Anthony Davis or Kawhi Leonard or Paul George, these guys that like, you know, have these minutes um, that once you get past a certain point, like they're, they're really likely to, uh, to, to injure themselves. And so, you know, I think, I think I saw Ty, Ty Lu doing this earlier this year with Kawhi where um, it was a close game. He played like the normal 12 minutes or whatever in the first half. And then he just like didn't play for most of the second half because mm-hmm. he was trying to deploy these like all right i've got seven more minutes of Kawhi. i need to have him be maximally impactful we'll do it from this time to this time and that that game if i recall correctly went into overtime and like they just didn't have him right it was like a it was like a pitch limit in um in like youth baseball just like you can only throw the ball 75 times once you hit that number it's firm you have to be out so like when do you use your aces uh, like, do you do it the beginning of games, the end of games, that kind of stuff? Dude, how crazy. Imagine if they put that in, like the strategic element of each game. Like it adds that, that crazy wild. element. You know, actually, I kind of love it. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, I, I think there's like it's it, it puts coaches in a really hard spot, yeah. too, because like, you know, they're paid to win games. And like you see it with like guys like Nick Nurse all the time, just like I've got my my circle of trust. These are the players that I that I rely on. Um and like I'm my again, my goal is to win games. My career is based on my ability to get these get, get these wins. 
I'm not going to, I'm not going to reach further down my bench uh, to throw Chris Boucher in here. Cause if I don't win this game, I'm going to lose my job. Um, so you, you're going to have to change the incentive structure a little bit, um, which is why I think like scheduling rest or like having like a little bit more uh, transparency on like when things are going to happen as far as, you know, you just, you tonight, you're not going to work Kev, you know, like, sorry. Um, and you, you'd have to be, you'd have to be able to get out in front of it as a, a team to announce ahead of time. Like, you know, you're, you're the Nets traveling to, um, to Salt Lake city. You've got all these Durant fans in Utah that want to come out and see him. You got to let these people know ahead of time before mm. they buy tickets. So like, right, right. you know, you, you, you explicitly wanted to see Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant isn't working tonight. Right. Um, Maybe it's, it's like the injury report, right? You have to, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, yeah. and like the injury report is just so, it's so mangled. You hear Josh Lloyd uh, bitch about it all the time about like, um, you know, Gordon Hayward's been like probable or yeah. like doubtful. doubtful. Just, yeah, like, yeah. This guy's had like a ripped <laughs> hamstring. Like he's not going to play. What are we doing? <laughs> um, the other thing that I think I hope gets implemented is we just have to get smarter about how we use G league rosters. You know, I feel like for the most part um, it's like a developmental league and there are some teams that have been able to utilize it. Well, I think about like the warriors and what they've done about pulling up Ty Jerome and lamb and these other guys um, that have been able to come in and, and step in and make an impact, keep the team afloat with injuries. But there are other teams that just like, it doesn't, it doesn't really seem to be a factor for them. It's, it's not a, a place where they're, they're cultivating stuff. And so if you had like a, if you had greater like connection from like, you know, this is what the big club runs. This is our, these are our sets. These are things that we want you to do. And you were coaching, you know, you had like sort of uh, coaching uh, synchronization of like, we want all of our point guards to do these kinds of things. We want all of our centers to do these kinds of things. And so when you get an injury, it could be more like baseball, which is like, all right, well, we're going to, we're going to pull up a shortstop because he's been playing shortstop the right way the entire time um, at triple a, but yeah, it just doesn't feel like you have this like second team, you know, that you could, that you could use to help ease the load on some of these guys. Um, but again, it would require you to be a little bit more strategic about how you how you deploy them, um, and it's not just like a, a place for for placeholder guys, you know. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, I think developmentally, NBA has gotten better, but yeah, there's a long way to go. Uh, you know, in terms of that, there, I, that's probably you know one of the edges that differentiates some of the better teams from the others. You know, like probably Memphis sticks out to me. Um, I think they're really mm. good developmentally. Like, um, they, yeah, they envision certain guys in roles, and and you know also they're very analytically driven. Um, but you know they kind of foresee, yeah, like, you know, we want to have this player in a particular role, so let's have him go down there and you know work on those skills and whatnot, and you know then we can try to maybe plug and play him. Um, uh, there was one thing that I was gonna say. Uh, when you were talking, it kind of struck me. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'll, I, I forgot. It, it, when it comes back to me, uh, I'll, I'll let you know. But um, yeah, man, I mean, NBA, it's, it's such a good game. Um, but yeah, there's definitely things that, that can be improved. Oh, so yeah, this is what I was thinking. So NFL, 
you know, they have all like uh, the next gen data. You know, the guys wear the stuff, and like, mm-hmm. you know, they're able to track everything. You know, heart rate. You know, whatever blood pressure. Just yeah. And like, you know, if they run, you know, fifty yards at you know X amount of speed, how does it affect the body? And what's the and then you know calculates the probability of injury. What kind of injury? I don't know. Maybe NBA uh, can do that too, right? Because then you know they can see. Uh, I'm sure. You know, some of the data may lean towards you know this type of injury happens more you know frequently when certain thresholds are met or you know whatever, um, and then that you know that may be able to kind of manage or mitigate. Oh, Razjam, Razjam, sure, I love it, I love it. I really wish we could have gotten in color. I think I think the color like would have been awesome, but silver and black, <laughs> so silver and black ain't bad. Um, but yeah, you know, I you know I I do think that because I mean. Man, NBA, like, they've really, you know, over the years, uh, you know, they've improved the game on on many, many levels, you know, not just from, you know, visually, TV, but, you know, analytically and, you know, digitally and uh, marketing-wise. So it wouldn't surprise me if if they get to that that point, too. Um, You you know, what's really cool is uh, when I was reading the, the, I think, Isaac Okoro article, a few months ago and I, I think a lot of teams have it i forgot the exact uh the company name but anyways now a lot of these uh teams the, the practice facility they have like this huge screen and that shows uh when a player shoots you know it shows like the spin rotation of the shot uh, mm. the, the velocity and the arc and the angle and the percentage you know and it's it's all like there uh, kind of like a video game um and it's it's pretty awesome, you know. It's kind of like, uh, you know, when you play NBA 2K, right? If the timing is off, you know, it says late. <laughs> yeah. And all that stuff. So yeah, I mean, man, I mean, the game has really improved, um, and it's, it's going to continue to improve. But with that said, yeah, there's a lot of things that that can be better for sure. Yeah, for sure. I mean, just like I said initially, like reading through that, like think about how much better this game would be. If you had Tyrese Halliburton and DeMar DeRozan and Donovan Mitchell and Kevin Durant and Jalen Brown and Anthony Davis out there more frequently, you know, um, definitely, especially a guy like Davis, like he's so good. You of all people would understand like, <laughs> what peak Anthony you don't Davis need to tell is me. capable of. You don't need to tell of, me. You know? <laughs> um, but you know, just like it's, it's every year. And I know that like, it's, it's very like, uh, it's in vogue for uh, people to shit on these players and say that they're soft and that like the, the whole thing is uh, a reflection of like uh, back in my day thing, people were tougher and uh, that whole like line of thinking. I'm just like, even if that's true, which I is not, it is not a line of thinking that I subscribe to, but even that's true. Like you're not going to stop the Clippers from strategically resting Kawhi Leonard because they, it's such a huge monetary commitment they've made to this guy. It's a massive investment. It's in their best interest to protect him. Exactly. And, you know, if you're playing 82 games, you know, especially in this culture that, that sort of like only reveres championships, like what is the incentive for them to play Kawhi Leonard 82, to, 82 times before we get to the thing that matters? Right. Like, where we've sort of boxed ourselves into this place where like 
teams have made huge investments on these players. Uh, fans want to see them, but like by the time you get to the part of the season that actually matters, everyone is broken in some way. Like no one is coming into this thing healthy. And so, yeah, I mean, you could have like, you could have an all NBA team of guys that are out right now. Yeah. It's, it's that, it's that important it's crazy. to keep these guys on the floor. Yeah, uh, it's crazy. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I wish, I wish they could do something about it. You know, back to what you were saying earlier, um, in terms of kind of, uh, announcing to the world who's playing and who's not for a particular game. I see a lot of troubles with that, right? Because, you know, Lakers are coming, LeBron's out ticket sales, <laughs> right? Like who's going to that yeah. game, right? So that's that's one thing that I, yeah, I think that like why they would never do that um, because it just depresses the value too much, I think. Um, but I would love it. I mean, I, I mean, this is money, man. It all comes down to money. <laughs> you know? It's the reason why it's the root of all evil. Yeah, you know, it, it all comes down to cash. Um, yeah, I just, it's, uh, it's frustrating. It's, it's, a, you know, I, I really, I feel for, um, I feel for like that experience of just like, and, and again, like this, this all started cause like, you know, I personally am like limited now, you know, like my walks are gone. My bike rides are gone. Um, the things that, you know, basketball is off the table for me. Like these things bring me a lot of joy. And like, I am not an athlete. I am not someone who is like dependent on like having a healthy functioning body for my livelihood. And so I'm sitting here, I'm bored, I'm frustrated, I'm pent up. Um, imagine what it feels like if you've spent 25 years of your life perfecting your craft and your body to be able to do this thing. And you have to sit, right? you know, like it's, there's no way it's good for your mental health either. Um, you know, thinking about like what Clay Thompson, you know, there've been a lot of pieces written about like, just how bored he was and like just day after day, week after week injury, you know, he had the, the Achilles and then the knee or the knee and then the Achilles. I don't remember the sequence, but um, you know, it's, it's, it's bad. You don't want, you don't want your employees to have to go through that. If, if you're like looking at this as an organization, just like, you know, your most important, most highly paid employees are subject to just getting chewed up by, their work schedule and clearly something is broken here. Um, so, okay. So let me ask you this then, um, you know, back in the day, right? Like guys were, if you look at the stats, they're playing a ridiculous, like, you know, 40 minutes a game, you know, like Jordan, uh, it's crazy. And you know, they're playing 82 game seasons too. Right? Mm -hmm. Um, and some may argue that, you know, the game was more physical back then. Um, so in terms of the proliferation of more injuries now, especially of like soft tissue writing, things like that, groins, hamstrings, uh, like what do you think is the reason for that? Well, I think one part of it is what you described earlier, just like, you know, everyone is bigger, stronger, faster, you know, like everyone has been sort of like uh, training into these kinds of positions. And so like, you know, the, the the like the ask of what you're doing is is greater um i also think like the fact that like you know if you're playing basketball now versus playing basketball 30 years ago like 
your defensive work starts pretty much once you've crossed half court. You know, if you're, it's not just like against Steph and Dame now. Like everyone has been weaponized, and so right. you're, you're what what you have to do on defense is you've got to guard the rim and you've got to guard the three point line at the same time, and so you're you're asking more people to just sort of be in motion and, and placing greater strain on people. Um, I also know that um, I've heard enough podcasts about it to know that like specialization generally doesn't help um, that like when you're going through like AAU circuits or whatever, and you you end up playing too one much. sport right, right. too much instead of getting the variety, like um, you end up with a guy like sort of Michael Porter jr. Who's like, he's just a, he's a fucking Ferrari, you know, like when he's right, he's this incredible thing, but he, he breaks seemingly very easily seems to be like a kind of uh you know what 23 year old has like three back surgeries you know um and so i i think that's that's a component in this too is like you're not having that like well-rounded base of like well I, in the summer i play baseball and in the fall i play football and in the winter i play basketball like that kind of uh diversity is has been shown to like really impact um your overall like health of like how well you can participate in these things um so i think that's a factor too i think that you know just the the mileage that you're putting on as a kid um you know it's just it's all because it's this like hyper competitive landscape everyone is trying to do all these like special things or year-round training or whatever and i think it's it's backfiring in a lot of ways yeah yeah I, you know i'm i'm probably an outlier you know like i have my son you know, play basketball and, you know, he does some tennis and stuff. But for me, um, you know, I'm definitely more laissez-faire about it. Um, and, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, my way is a better way or anything like that. But I do realize that it's definitely different than most people, right? Because most people, you know, even parents on our team and then, you know, you see it at other teams. And, you know, our league is not even like that competitive or anything. But man, you know, the parents get really, really into it and just, uh, you know, like sometimes, I mean, yeah, I'm human. Sometimes I judge, you know, and I'm like, well, why, you know, it's as if like they're living vicariously through their kids and like that. Yeah. I, I never understand that one, you know, uh, you know, with that said though, like in order to, you know, have the kid that gets the scholarship or the Olympic, you know, yeah, you increase the probabilities of that happening, however small they may be, by pushing them and doing it. So, so I, I get it. I totally understand it. You know, me personally, I'm on the completely opposite side. You know, I'm like, you know, I'm sure maybe other parents get you know annoyed at me, right? Because I'm just like, hey, I just want my kid to, have, yeah, I just want my kid to have fun, learn the fundamentals, you know, learn the game the right way, and just play, you know, and, um, you know, and. You know, just expose him to as much stuff as he can, and then if he does gravitate towards one, or if he, you know, starts to show a passion for something, then okay, then we can get a little bit more serious, you know. But, um, but yeah, like to me, like it's crazy, like, you know, what he's fifth grade, like even from when they were like third or fourth grade, you know, some parents like going crazy over the score, you know, and just like I'm like. What? <laughs> what you know like yeah officiating yeah i'm like you're you're crazy like they're they're you know fourth graders just let them play you know but um but you know like i said you know i i I do get it and you know obviously 
those kids where the parents like really really push them and you know make it like a f- sole focus like yeah they're 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 balling i mean some of these kids are like amazing it's just blows my mind right uh so i get it but then you know with that said like i often think about that too i'm like is that really a good thing though you know is it healthy yeah. right and you know alluding to what you're saying not just the physical aspect of it too but kind of the mental part of it too right because you know they i don't know they're always like the big man right and then they get so used to like that type of treatment and then when they get older right and then there's certain values and certain core fundamentals that they didn't learn or appreciate when they're younger so then it makes it much more difficult for them later i don't know it's just that's just one perspective of it so i don't you know like I, 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 at the end of the day, I, you know, I definitely, I think I'm with you. I agree with you in that, um, you know, specialization, specialization probably isn't the most optimal thing, you know, although, you know, like I said, like I do realize that sometimes it does foster like the greatness it does. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not saying like it shouldn't be done, but yeah, like I, I, I probably, I'm probably with you. I lean more towards the kind of just more laissez-faire attitude and then. Uh, just kind of have the kids work through it and and grow. But, uh, you know, I'm curious, like, you know, say like uh, LeBron's kid, right? Super, I mean, it's probably super specialized, hyper-focused, right? They probably have a lot of stuff outside of school where, you know, he's got his friends coaching or just teaching them and stuff. Yeah, you would imagine if anyone would have like, uh, exclusive access yeah. to like the things that will make you a good basketball player. Yeah, for sure. It's Bronny James. Definitely. And and he's balling, right? And he's on that sort of level. So so let's kind of like, yeah, let's let, let's talk about that. Like, do you think that it's been detrimental for him in some way or no? What do you think? I have no idea. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, I think with like, I think being the, son of someone famous like that has got to be really challenging if you're going to be trying to do if you're trying to work in the field that they were in you know yeah. i think like the, that legacy is going to be really challenging which you know we know that that's why he goes by Bronny instead of lebron james jr is that he wants to have his own identity he wants to be his own person um you know like i i guess the thing that i would be concerned about <clears throat> with someone like that um would be burnout, you know? And that was sort of what, what I was thinking about that when you were talking about other sort of downsides of, of intense specialization or of really like, um, pushing is just like, what if you just like sap all of the fun out of this by insisting on greatness or striving for greatness or like trying to unlock Olympic levels of all that, you know, like it's hard because you look at guys like, you know, well, you look at anyone who's an elite athlete, you're, your Williams sisters, uh, Kobe Bryant, like they have this like unbelievable focus and drive. And um, it's part of how they got to be where they are for sure. Um, But there are other components that go into being able to be at that level. Um, But one of the things that that can be adopted and like uh, prescribed to children by parents who want them to achieve this level is that like maniacal work level and so you know because that's something that you can control that's something that like you can you can apply as opposed to just like gifts you know like the 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 other things about kobe bryant that allowed him to be kobe bryant 
other than the fact that he was just an insane worker like that can't be drilled into you but like i can control the how hard we're going to drill you kinds of deals so here's a question for you on that on that tip and this is one i often think about a lot it's uh so like work ethic i agree with you it is controllable but i think there's certain differentiations like that kobe level is that nature or nurture you know like i often think about that because you know you would think that you can control your mind and you know do it but does everybody have that capacity <laughs> you know i don't know you know yeah i don't know um my my wife and i are watching a lot of chef's table recently okay. um and what happens in that show a lot is the they'll talk with someone and they'll talk with a chef about like how they got to where they are yeah. and a lot of it is just like people feel like almost universally that they they find the thing that they that is their vocation they find their calling and it just clicks and then the the work component of it then becomes something to manage because like everything makes so much sense there's so much joy that comes out of um being in the kitchen and producing and like i also they're almost all perfectionists in one way or another and so like being able to be that kind of like control freak of like this is how the processes work in my kitchen um you know and so i think like i don't think that that's totally dissimilar to like what Kobe Bryant needed to be Kobe Bryant or Tiger Woods or, or whoever, you know, but, you know, do I think that all people have that capacity? Like, maybe okay. if it's, if it's in the service of something that like is so like enriching and so like fundamental to like where they get joy, then I think like it, it, it stops being work at some point. It just starts being like, like breathing, you right. know, it's um, kind of like our, second nature. Us, us in this pod. That's in this spot. It's just, you know. It's precisely like that. It's like, it's like Kobe Bryant. Um, it's like the people on Chef's Table. It's like how we do this podcast. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's the pantheon. Um, yeah, you know, that's, I mean, you know, the burnout is a really good one because it, it happens probably more often than people realize. Yeah. Uh, and, um, you know, I, yeah, I mean the work the work ethic one like that. Yeah, I, I I ponder that one a lot, you know, especially like you know when I try to like like certain things I want to teach my kid and you know just kind of help him out on his journey in life and stuff like that. And it's like like for example, okay, so you're talking about Tiger Woods and William Sisters and Kobe Bryant, like so. Um, you know, I'll I'll add another person to that. You know, so you know, son from uh you know, soccer, he plays for, you know, he plays in the English Premier League. And so he had a similar upbringing, like his father was super hard on him and just like made him do all these drills and do stuff and blah, blah, blah. Right. And so I think all four of those examples, you know, they had, you know, a father figure that just pushed them from an early age. Right. And so, you know, the, the easy correlation is that, okay, you know, if you have a kid, right at like five years old whatever you just drill these certain things into them and then it'll be a similar path but i don't think it is right because and granted i don't know because i don't know these kids and what their experiences were but just looking at it from the outside 
I often feel like, you know, those kids have something special in them. So, I mean, not only, okay, just from like, even like a, an emotional component, right? Like to be able to take all that, you know, beating or, you know, mental beating or emotional building early on. I mean, that's, I feel like there's some innate, you know, characteristics even in that, right? Or, or like, you know, like if you listen to like, um, <laughs> I've actually been listening to some, you know, pods and stuff and the, you know, Navy SEAL guys come on, you know, and, you know, I mean, it, it's all the same, right? Mental, I'm able to break through and, you know, my shin is broken and I can run through it, right? But there's a reason why there's only like a handful of guys that finish it out of like hundreds, right? And like those are the top of the top echelon, right? And so like, you know, what differentiates those guys that make it and those guys that don't? It's probably very minuscule, right? And like that gets me thinking, like, like, like if these guys, you know, they're motivational speakers and stuff like that, and they always say like, you can do it, you can do it. And I think everyone can get to a certain level, right? But I don't know if if everyone can get to that level. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, yeah, I, I often ponder that, um, you know, because like, you know, like it is amazing. Like the Williams sisters and, you know, all of them, Tiger Woods' son, like they didn't burn out, right? And, you know, why is that? Is it because they found success and confidence in it? Or is it because they found passion in the game? Or is mm -hmm. it because emotionally and mentally you know they're kind of wired a little differently uh, i don't know maybe it's a combination of all um but yeah and i don't know it's, it always fascinates me you know it's just like um yeah. i mean good fortune is a big part of it yeah. you know that was a, when my wife and i were talking about chef's table i was just like it's so funny that they do this and there's like you know seven seasons of just like starring this person who had this journey and ended up getting to like express themselves in a way um, on the plate or in whatever it is that they're doing that it's really like, it's, it's part and parcel. It's, it is like, I'm saying something about me or my family or where I come from and it's represented here on this plate. And it's an amazing thing when that happens, but like, we know how many restaurants fail all the time, yeah, yeah. you know, it's, it's sort of like the unspoken thing of that is like, we're going to keep, it's going to be like just hit after hit after hit after hit. And so, yeah, you're talking about like Tiger Woods, William sisters, Brian Federer, you know, all these like huge, great accomplished people. Um, but you know, like there's a lot of people that were probably just as driven. Yeah who were not fortunate in whatever, be it like they didn't get the right training, right. they got injured, um, you know, they they uh, were not supported in the ways that these other people were supported and so they couldn't do it. They weren't as gifted, you know, like there's also like something to be said about like just like natural ability with some of these things, yeah. you know, like some people it's just innate. Um, That's what I'm saying. But yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. we, You know, we, obviously we see the, one out of 10 million or hundred million outcome. But, you know, we, you know, we rarely see the other 999, <laughs> you know, million, right. Is 
you know mm-hmm. I, I guess it's kind of like um uh you know like police uh brutality right it's uh it's a lot like that no no <laughs> sorry in the sense <laughs> in the sense of you know like there's more awareness of it now right and so yeah. you know some some people could say that oh it happens more now but no it's just it's always happened it's just now that we yeah. you know the people can record it and they, you know you know hundreds of years ago yeah police were beating the shit out of people <laughs> for whatever yeah. right it's just yeah and it's the same shit but it's just now that it's more documented and there's more press to it and there's more videotape and stuff like that so um yeah you know what what is shown to us like even your your chef's table um you know scripted right it's a, it's a lot of shows manufactured right and so you know we see what they want us to see right and there's certain narratives and stories that uh, are told um but a lot of times yeah we don't see uh the real shit right we don't see the the you know 99.9 percent outcome that usually happens right? yeah <laughs> so yeah you don't you get failures you know you get things that don't work um Yes. Which, you know, if we're if we're going to be complimenting ourselves and apparently we are, um, <laughs> you know, that's uh, it speaks back to like this idea of like, you know, failing is good. And like, you know, because we because we're engaged in like this competitive landscape that also involves luck, um, you know, I'm just doing, we talk all the time about the teams that we have that aren't winning all you know, I don't know how many teams of mine will ultimately succeed this year. Most of them won't. Uh, I have most so, of them won't for most people. You yeah, know? I have so many shitty teams. Oh, it's so bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're the other side. You know, if, if chef's table is like, just like a collection of highlights, um, we are the, uh, the, uh, the young Goodman Browns, the every man that, uh, keeps on losing uh and is hoping for a breakthrough you know you know so i sometimes i joke with my son you know i'm like yeah you know i may not tell you like what to do but i can sure tell you what not to do so you know yeah. like that is, that in itself is wisdom you know so i take it to heart um all right so you you're segueing to michael porter jr um i know he, he's a guy that you've been actually talking about for the last few years um You've been kind of on, yeah. on and off him for a while, so. Yeah, you know, so I have this I have this list of guys here that um, are people returning from injury, um, and in one way or another, and and you know Porter has been a, a sort of fascinating figure for me, mostly because um, my dad went to Mizzou and I grew up a Mizzou fan and. So like he's sort of this like mythical figure because he just never played, right. <laughs> you know. It, it was such a coup for for Missouri to land him, um, and then he didn't play, and then obviously he didn't play his first year in the NBA, and, and his whole time as a professional basketball player has been marred by injury. Um, and so he's back now. He's uh, he's played in 29 games this year, which is pretty good for him. Um, and I just I was holding up what he's doing now against like his his peak of what we've seen and so the peak was uh the 2021 season uh where he was the 27th best player on basketball monster he averaged 19 points 7.3 boards uh 1.1 assists 
uh, 0.7 steals, 0.9 blocks, 2.83s, shooting 54, 45, uh, and 79. Um, his advanced numbers were awesome. He was in the 96th percentile by offensive EPM, 95th percentile true shooting, 96th percentile effective field goal. Uh, he was killing it at the rim. He was killing it in the mid-range. He was killing it from deep. Um, the block rate was in the in the 76th percentile. That was that was it, a really exciting guy. You know, that was the player that had been much sort of ballyhooed and discussed for really for since he was a prep pro, uh, prospect. Um, and this year, like I said, he's played in 29 games. He had this heel injury, um, and he's not quite there yet he is the 89th player on monster over the year he's the 86th player the last week so he's been a little bit better averaging 16 5 1 uh, the defensive stats are way down 0.6 steals 0.5 blocks 2.7 threes uh shooting 47 uh percent from the field 40 percent from three and 75 percent from the line in 29 minutes per game um He's about half the player he was two years ago. Um, his shot diet has shifted. Now more than 53% of his shots are from threes, or threes rather. Um, he's got fewer unassisted baskets than ever before. Uh, only 3.5% of his field goal attempts are dunks. In that really great season that he had, it was 9.5%. And I guess... You know, I, I mention him, A, because I'm fascinated by him and I'm rooting for him and I watch a lot of the Nuggets. And um, But I, I'm curious, like, should we should we abandon what happened in that 2021 20, season um, as, like, a, a reasonable outcome? Is that, like, the outlier that we should ignore? And, you know, who who is this player? Or, or can we even say that we know yet? Yeah, I don't think we know. Right, I think we've seen both ends of the spectrum. Um, mm. You know, as uh, as Ice Cube said, you know, you got to put your back into it, right? So uh, <laughs> that's the trouble. Yeah, with exactly. He that's, his back that, out all the that, time. You know, that's his problem. Uh, you know, he's only twenty four years old, so um, you know, it, it kind of reminds me of like, you know, those kids like early when they're younger, and then they have a, a huge growth spurt. Uh, and then they're really awkward because they don't know how to move or, you know, do things uh, with the new height or whatever their limbs are, you know, just everything is a little different. So, you know, I'm sure that uh, with his back injury, surgery, rehab, all that stuff, um, I mean, even to this day, you know, he's probably still figuring out like his body, I think, to some degree. So I think that's part of it. Um, and, you know, like I said, he's, he's still young, right? He's still a young player, yeah. right? And, you know, he's only... You know, and, and this you know, it kind of ties into our Aaron Gordon conversation. It was the last week or two weeks ago, right? I mean, it took Gordon many, many years, right, in a different situation. And even when he got to Denver, it took him a full year to figure out his role in the offense, right? So um, for Porter, he, you know, he just hasn't been in the league that long. Um, he's still, you know, I think still kind of adjusting to what his body is about. And his role on this team I think he's still figuring out that too, right? Because, you know, <clears throat> all through his life, he's been the alpha, right? The ball comes to him, he shoots, right? He's he's getting buckets, right? But, I mean, you're playing next to, you know, Jokic, right? So, 
the ball is starting with Jokic and you know you're gonna have to work off Jokic right and so I think like Aaron Gordon has figured out uh, how to do that whether it be him or the coaching staff but the, you know they figured out how to put him in the yeah. best position and then he's figured out how to work with him little nuances you know how to screen roll you know where is he gonna be right so they figured that out I think MPJ is still figuring it out too and especially <clears throat> you know Jamal Murray's been out so they're you know they're reintegrating him too um so yeah I don't think we can dismiss it at least not now I just think the sample is too early to dismiss it you know, you go in maybe three, four years or whatever. When the sample size gets bigger, then we can maybe look back and be like, wow, you know, that 2021 season was, wow, whoa, we're, you know, it's crazy. But, you know, with that said, the fact that he was able to do it, that means it's it's in the range of outcomes, right? So, you know, that may be his ceiling. It may not even be his ceiling. There may be another level, mm-hmm. you know, we, we, we just don't know yet. So, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think we know. You know, I, I do think that we have kind of seen the floor and or a lower outcome and we've seen a higher outcome and what kind of it looks like now it's a matter of you know does he settle in the middle or does it revert or does he take a step mm-hmm. you know i i kind of lean towards him uh you know towards the the positive side just because and, and obviously a lot depends on health but you know gets healthy gets comfortable with his body figures out exactly what he can do and then when he gets more experience in the NBA game, you know, learning the nuances, the speed, you know, playing that to Jokic, all, all that stuff, all that experience, I think, uh, will be beneficial for him. And, you know, I mean, it, I mean, it's kind of scary, right? Because, I mean, he is a professional getter of buckets. Like, we know. Oh, the jump shot is so It's so great. silky, right? It's so silky. And, I mean, man, I mean, there's, even right now, I can envision him just doing, like, Clay Thompson type stuff right you know scoring like 30 points and you know like whatever 10 minutes you know so like i i I can see it i can envision it so whether it happens or not or you know remains to be seen but um, i do think it's it's within the range of outcomes yeah what about you are you more positive or or negative on it you know i'm I'm obviously very worried about the injury history that's huge um and sort of the inverse of what you're saying about walker kessler um you know i just i watch porter on the floor and he just looks lost. He's intangible. A lot. He's intangible. Okay. Like, especially defensively, which, you know, has been a thing that's been a uh, part of his reputation for as long as, uh, like, his, his, the, you know, aesthetically pleasing shot that he has. has that's been. true. Like, he just doesn't seem like he gets hit, right. um, which, you know, he's in good company in Denver. Like, that, that's a whole team that doesn't really defend very well. Um, and so, you know, I, I don't know. I I think that what you were saying about like, we've sort of found a middle ground here. I feel like this season is kind of like, uh, you know, uh, neither optimal nor suboptimal. It's somewhere in between. And so what happens next is really going to largely be shaped by like, can he stay on the floor? And like, what, you know, we're talking about Kobe Bryant and the drive, like, does he want to do that? Like, does he want to be, does he want to dedicate his life to protect, to perfecting his craft? Because if he if he does, um, man, that jump shot is a hell of a place to start from. Plus the size, like you know, and like we've seen the the block rate, we've seen the defensive rebounding in the past be something that he could really excel at. But you know, there are, there's also like if he doesn't want that, if he if he is 
if he's not a, a lunatic about getting the very most out of himself, a I don't begrudge him that because like you know yeah. I'm not judging yeah, other yeah. people about the way they live. I hope they don't do the same for me. Um, but I, I really I just don't know. I don't know what I don't know enough about him to know if uh, if that's in his build. Like the the Nuggets clearly thought there's some of that in there because they gave him a huge pile of money. And some of that, you know, there are circumstances that go into that too about being able to attract and retain talent in Denver. But I'm rooting for him, obviously. You know, like um, I don't have him on many teams because I've just been burned before, and because like you know, I'm also a believer that you can't have your cake and eat it too. Like the great Michael Porter Jr. seasons will happen on someone else's roster, of course. <laughs> um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, he's so young. You know, he's so young and like. He didn't have a college career. He was, in, he was at Mizzou for a year. He played like three games. He didn't have a rookie season. So not only is he young uh, just as time as a person on earth, he's also pretty young as far as just like games played at a high level, you know? Um, so I hope so. I, I don't know if I'm quite as optimistic as you are, or maybe I am, but I, I can't be as vocal about it because I'm afraid that if I, if I say that, that, I'll jinx it for him. Well, and he doesn't need any other help. <laughs> jinx, you know? Well, you know, I mean, you've kind of swayed me the other way, actually. Um, and you make a good point, right? Is, uh, you know, the defensive aspect of it. Uh, I do remember reading a lot of articles uh, over the off season and even into early into the season where Malone was like, you know, and he was limiting his minutes for a little bit because, you know, he's like, hey, I'll be straight up, you know, defense. You need to play defense. And so they've been having, yeah. and it's been an issue. So, um, yeah, so that, that brings my optimism down as well. And then, yeah, the intangibles, like you said, like there's been no indication one way or the other, whether, you know, you know, he quote unquote wants it or, the, or does not want it. But I guess the fact that, mm-hmm. you know, like the fact that there hasn't been any articles being like, you know, you know, the team is raving about him or the, you know, players raving oh, out. The grind. Yeah. yeah. You know, no, because like, I mean, there were multiple articles on Kessler where they were like, you know, hey, this guy's asking me questions. He's hounding me. Like, you know, coaches going at or coaches and players going out of the way, being like, this guy gets it. You know, he's asking questions. Like, he's studious. So, you know, when you see that, you, you know, hey, that I mean, that means something, right? That you know, you, you're standing out, and um, so when you're not seeing it, that in of itself, you know, gives some information too, right? So I think those are really, you know, really good points, really valid points. So um, I do, yeah, my, my enthusiasm is definitely tempered uh, from that. Um, yeah, so yeah, you know, I, I wanted to mention this earlier, but then, you know, we kept getting sidetracked and stuff like that. But I think, um, you know, a lot of this pod was, you know, about injury and stuff like that and, and risk, right? And um man you know like this is a rocko pod man you know it's like they all are they, they all are yeah true they all are but um you know like minutes truly are gold man like you can't get you can't produce fantasy goodies if you're not going to be on on the court you know and i think more and more each day um i'm beginning to i mean i've always understood it but it, it's really becoming a uh, a deeper, uh, more deeply embedded into my psyche. Um, like, you know, I just did like updated rankings, uh, and rest of the season rankings. And like, I had, you know, Tatum number two 
And, you know, big reason is, you know, obviously, you know, I mean, he's stuffed in the stat sheet, blah, blah, blah. Like, he's, you know, middle first-round player anyways. But he's two now because, yeah. I mean, the injury risk is so small, right? It's, you know, it's all, obviously it's always going to be there, right? But, you know, he's one of the safer guys. And to me, now it's like, hey, you know, so I was going through, you know, some of the top teams and, you know, NFBC. And, like, I mean, you look at all the guys that are drafted. Yeah, most of them. Um, I've seen a lot of DeAndre Hunter on a lot of teams, right? Ooh. And he's gross for fantasy, right? But when he's pl- he plays, <laughs> he plays, that's right. right? And like that's, that's huge, you know. The Royce O'Neal, I've seen a lot of Royce O'Neals, a lot of Tatum, right? You know, obviously, you know, I've seen some Duran and things like that. But I mean, I mean, up and down these rosters, it's just dudes that are playing, you know, Bruce Browns of the world, right? Yeah. And it's like, um, and and you know, I mean, obviously, I I learned the huge lesson last year, you know, Paul George, Anthony Davis, like, don't be a fucking hero. There's no need to be. You don't need, there's other players that, you know, maybe they won't, you know, give you the exact amount of stats and you'll fall behind a little bit, but dude, they're pretty damn close. And then the fact, you know, when you don't have to worry about injury. And I remember Rocco always said all summer, right? He's been saying, I don't want to have to deal with Anthony Davis. What is he going to play? Is he not? Right? I put him in the fucking lineup and he plays one game and then I take him out and he plays... Two, right? Like, there's... There's really no reason to put yourself in that situation when there's other alternative, you know, viable options, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, that's... I just kept thinking about that this whole time, you know, in, in this pod and just like, yeah, man. You know, it's like... Just get the two seconds to play. <laughs> like it's Seriously. such an easy, simple concept. Yet, you know, we all we're always galaxy braining ourselves into, yeah, like, you know, into shit, right? <laughs> yeah, my good Raz Jam team with like Nikola Vucevic and Chris Paul and Demar Derozan and OG Ananobi. Just, like, just go get the guys that are out there, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, we're running long, man. Yeah. I wanted to talk about Victor Oladipo. No, let's do it. Let's talk about him. Let's do it. Um, because he's sort of the he's the other side of Michael Porter Jr. Okay. You know, like he's an older player. Um, he had he had this sort of like magical year, 2017, 2018, in Indiana. He played 75 games, 23 points, five boards, four dimes, league leading two and a half, or excuse me, 2.3 steals. Uh, he's hitting 2.13s, shooting 47%, 37%, 79% across 34 minutes. He was in the 97th percentile by overall EPM, 94th on offense, 96th in defense. He was a monster. Um, he didn't, he wasn't terribly, um, you know, uh, dazzling in any particular spot. He, he had his best season finishing at the rim. He was in the 81st percentile there. Um, the steal rate was obviously um, just unbelievable. Yeah, beast, uh, and he's had a nice little run recently. You know, like we I mentioned Kyle Lowry, that long list of people that were injured. Tyler Hero was also on it until very recently. Um, and during that time, he's, he's cracked the top 100. He's a top 115 player on the year. He's only played 19 games this season. Um, he's coming back from a knee injury. He also before that had like the really devastating quad injury that just like nuked him for a couple of years. Um, so his season averages are are fairly muted because he's played so little. He's played so infrequently. 
um, 11 points, three and a half boards, four dimes, uh, 1.7 steals. So the steal rate is nice. Um, 1.6 threes. He's shooting 40% from the field, 31 from three, 78 from the line in 28 minutes per game. Um, defensively, he looks nice on EPM. He's in the 88th percentile. Uh, the shooting is bad, 24th percentile in true shooting, 20th percentile in the effective field goal percentage, 7th percentile at the rim. He's killing it in the mid-range, though, uh, 86th percentile there, and in, in the 96th percentile in steals again. So the, the steals seem legit. Is any of the rest of this real? Should we be excited about Depot? What do you, what, what do you think? I think that this recent run is encouraging. I wonder about what's going to happen in that environment because if, if, you know, Miami is not really having the season that a lot of us thought they would have, you know, they finished first last year. Is that right? Am I, or am I confusing my heat seasons? But what one year they had a very, uh, they overperformed and did very well. Uh, I think they might've been two seasons ago, but you know, they're, they're sort of uh, on the lower end of Eastern conference playoff teams. Um, I think that this recent run has really been facilitated by the fact that they, they were first Lowry's been last out. Year. They were first, they were last, first year. last year. Yeah. Um, I'm inclined to, to, I, I have them on some rosters. I'll be honest. Um, and I'm going to sort of write it out and see what happens, what happened when Lowry uh, comes back. But, you know, if the heat decide to move in a different direction, which seems possible, considering the overall age of that group, um, you know, can, can Victor Oladipo come in and play 30 minutes a game? Maybe. And if he does, then the steal rate, the steal rate alone will make him valuable enough to be on fantasy rosters. I believe, um, you know, it'll be a, be a fit thing. Cause he's, I don't think he's going to be a very efficient player. Um, and the fact that a lot of his scoring is coming in the mid range is kind of worrisome. Um, you'd like to have, uh, you know, a higher floor either from the free throw line or from three. I think he's fringy. That's where I'd put it. Okay. Um, so last year, I was I was very interested watching him. Um, you know, they brought him along slowly at the end, but they did try to incorporate in him. They wanted to kind of see where he was at, and you could see he didn't have like the the same explosiveness as before, which is understandable, right, coming from the injury. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, they they were throwing him out there, right, and they wanted to give him responsibilities. They wanted to see, uh, you know, at the end he played twenty five and took some time off, and then twenty eight minutes, and then thirty six minutes in the in the final he started and he dropped forty points, right. So, you know, that was kind of like you could see like spurts of his old self. And, you know, you alluded to all the numbers, right? And we know what his ceiling is. So, you know, you could see some stuff last year and then you could kind of see the team was very interested in him, right? Um, You know, they brought him in for a reason. So, you know, coming into this year, um, you know, let me see where he he started. Yeah, so they brought him along slowly again, right? So he missed, how many games was that? Maybe like close to 20 games. Yeah, 24 games, right? So they brought him in slowly, 18, 20, 20 minutes. And then, you know, I mean, he's been playing, you know, over 30 minutes because of Lowry, right? But he's been, you know, pretty, I mean, he's been their sixth guy. He's been their sixth man, right? Kind of like their microwave and they need that, 
right? Because especially because he has some ability to break down defenses, whereas other mm-hmm. guys um, like Max Struess and you know players like that, they're more kind of like spot up shooters, um, you know, dribble handoff action. Whereas Depot, you know, you give him the ball, he can break down a defense, right? I think he had twelve dimes last night. Uh, let me see, twelve or oh, ten, close ten. But yeah, he's been good. Ten, five, eight, four, six. Uh, yeah, so he has that ability, break down defense and dish it to, and they have a plethora of shooters on that team, right? So, you know, he he definitely, I I don't know, personally, I think he looks more explosive than last year. Um, and you know, another year from that injury, and you know, granted, he dealt with some stuff earlier this year, but uh, I think you know, the more he gets comfortable, I I think I think there's some reality here. Right, I mean, he's been playing a ton of minutes, right? 30, yeah. 35, 36, 34, 34 in the last four games, right? So I don't know if they're necessarily concerned or they must feel, have some level of confidence in where he's at physically. And then, you know, Miami, I mean, they're really known for their conditioning program and stuff like that. So I think, you know, you got to factor that in too. So he's probably at a level physically where they're like, all right, you know, we feel comfortable. So then I guess it comes down to role. I kind of think he solidified his role and there's upside to more, right? So, I mean, I think he's the sixth man. He's the guy off the bench. If Lowry gets traded or whatever, if certain, you know, pieces are moved, I mean, it's within the range of outcomes that he enters the, the lineup, right? Right. I mean, it could be, yeah. it could be. Um, I don't, I don't know. Um, I mean, his role may be best uh, off the six, you know, off the, as a six man, that might be better to kind of just, parcel out everything because then you have hero and butler and bam and then you know depot can run the second unit or whatever i mean i think there's ways i don't know if it's necessarily you know they need depot in the lineup um i could see it but regardless i think he's gonna have a significant role um you know 28 28 minutes maybe i would say because he can probably back up both guard spots right if mm-hmm. they go small you know maybe he plays more but I don't know. I mean, that's pretty good. <laughs> pretty good to me. Well, that's what he's averaging yeah. right now. He's averaging 28 yeah. minutes for the season now. So, yeah, I mean, that that is the encouraging thing. You know, obviously you always worry about injury, you know, coming back up for him because of the road that he's been walking. Yeah. But, uh, but, yeah, I mean, obviously the steals will play. The assists are great. Um, like I said, it'd be really nice if he wasn't shooting in the seventh percentile at the rim. But, you know, we... Hey, it's not zero. Uh, it's not zero. <laughs> it's not zero. It's not zero. And I, I think your point about um, sort of where he fits in that ecosystem, I, I think that there isn't a ton of, like, uh, there isn't a ton of uh, off-the-dribble guard play there. You know, you've got you've got Butler, you've got Lowry, and, and Hero. Hero is more of a shooter, I would say. Um, than a guy who's really going to be running an offense. So, so maybe there is a, a role there for, for Victor Oladipo. Um, he's going to have to nudge your man, Gabe Vincent, out of there. But, uh, uh, yeah, man, that, that's all I got. This is an hour and a half. we we got to shut this thing down, man. I, I, I think we've – I still, at one point, I do want to talk about Paolo ben, Bancaro's free throws. It's not for today, Okay, though. we'll do it next week. Um, Joel, thank you again. You know, it's always a pleasure. I mean, look, time flies when we're having fun, man. We could probably we, we could fun. probably go another hour. Uh, you know, hope your toe gets better. Um, you need to you need to stop dunking, stop dunking, and stop trying to be like Pele. 
and you'll, you'll, you'll be all good. <laughs> Tell that to the dog, man. He's he's the real problem. Buckets. Here. If he wasn't if he wasn't so cute and yeah. uh, so enthusiastic, hey, then we wouldn't be playing with. That's him. why I respect you because you have love for the buckets. So. <laughs> I do. Cool. I do. Take it easy. All right, take man. It easy, Joel. Uh, we'll see you all next right, week. Man. Later. Take care.